Um, let's, let's bow and pray, shall we? Uh, Father, we want to thank you, first of all, for the kids and the volunteers that we saw there um, on the screen. Um, children are not only the future of the church, they are the church now. And we are so glad that you've blessed us with many of them. And you've blessed us with many volunteers who um, shepherd them and provide for them in different ways. And you've provided us a children's ministries director who leads those volunteers well and loves the children. And we, we bless you for her. And um, thank you even for those who are ministering this hour in the nursery, caring for the little ones so that parents can um, worship without distraction. Um, I also want to pray for our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters who this Sunday each month worship in that language at the other end of the campus. We pray that you'll bless Eliel as he preaches and the musicians who lead, and we're so grateful for their being part of our family as well. We commit to you the ministry up at Camp Zion this weekend. Ask for safe travel for our campers and leaders as they return home uh, this afternoon and ask that you would bring fruit from the uh, instruction that they get. The fun and the fellowship, to be sure, but also the time spent in your word as they focus on the evidence for our faith, and specifically the evidence for the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad that you have given us the privilege of praying in his name, and we echo what we sang a few minutes ago, let the glory of your name, our Father, let the glory of Jesus' name be the passion of his church. We ask that everything we say and do, not only in this hour, but in the week to come, would be for your glory, the honor of your name, that people would recognize that you are deservedly famous because of our ministries and because of our conduct and the words that you give us the opportunity to speak to those who don't yet know you in a personal way. We're glad that we have ministry opportunities not only here in our own community, but around the world. You have indeed positioned us to make a difference strategically in various places. Today I want to pray for Mike as he wraps up his ministry in Panama, and then bless John and Sue when they return soon to that church that they've been called to serve. And um, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to send the Wizardies and now uh, for a couple of weeks uh, the McDowells to minister down there. Uh, Lord, we want to also e e extend our prayer circle beyond the work of the church to the world, the nation that you have put us in. Uh, we have an election coming up soon in our country, and it seems like so much is at stake. And we just pray that people would vote wisely, and especially your church, that we would um, take into consideration, not, that's not strong enough, that we would be governed by your word and a vision for um, biblical, uh, God-honoring government and vote accordingly. Uh, we're at your disposal. Uh, we plead for your mercy. We ask that you would give us even better government than we deserve, um, all because you've invited us in your word to pray and to pray boldly. And that's, that's what we're doing. We're going to do so in the name of the one who taught his people to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Whether you have a bound volume like this or whether you're going to scroll on your phone, we're going to open today to 1 Peter chapter 5. Near the end of the Bible, the first letter of the Apostle Peter, the fifth chapter, as we continue a series, Rediscover Church. We're looking at what the Bible has to say about God's design for the church, the body of Christ. And today we're going to focus on leadership in the church. There are other texts we could turn to, but this is a good one. 1 Peter 5, the first four verses tell us something about leadership in the church. Peter says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Now, he has introduced himself in the first verse of this letter as an apostle, one divinely appointed to authoritative foundational ministry in the new covenant community, the church. But Peter is also an elder in the local church, and to the elders among you, he says, I appeal as a fellow elder, one who knows what it is like to be an elder in the church, and a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds. The Latin word for shepherds is pastors. Be shepherds, be pastors of God's flock that is under your care serving as overseers, sometimes translated bishops, but I think most accurately as overseers. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There's a lot in that paragraph. It's packed. I've over the years urged elders to memorize these verses, and often for elder board devotions, we'll turn to this paragraph and do some unpacking. Early in my ministry, I spent six weeks in a row uh, unpacking these lines. But for our purposes this morning, I want to point out some things that average people need to know. Not elders and pastors, although we need to know this too, but all members of God's church need to know some things about leadership in God's church that are in these lines. First of all, the way Peter uses three titles for church leadership interchangeably here. Leaders in the church are called, you saw it, elders, verse 1, shepherds or pastors, verse 2, and also in verse 2, overseers. These are not three separate offices. They are used interchangeably in the New Testament. You see the same thing in Acts chapter 20, where a different apostle, the apostle Paul, summons the elders of the church in Ephesus. He wants to give them some farewell instructions, not expecting to see them ever again. And so the elders come, and he says something like what Peter says here. I'm instructing you to be faithful shepherds 
of God's church over which he has made you overseers. The terms are interchangeable. And they each teach us something different about the nature of leadership in the church. Elder suggests to us, doesn't it, maturity, proven character, more than just a couple of years of walking with God, people who have earned the respect of the people that they are going to lead. It's not necessarily tied to chronological age, although, generally speaking, we hope, we expect that somebody with more years has more years of experience with God, um, more um, experience of life, and an ability, therefore, to apply God's truth to what life dishes out to us and to the people that they're going to lead. And in fact, there is some evidence in the uh, first century that a man had to be at least 30 years old to be an elder. Jesus began his public ministry at age 30. You had to be 30 years old to be a voting member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council of the first century. Since the Bible does not legislate on this matter, it doesn't specify an age at which you can be qualified to serve as an elder, we don't do that in our organizing documents either. But our nominating committee typically will look for somebody with some maturity, some age, some experience, and the respect that should come with having walked with God for some time. Maybe you already realize this, but most churches have, I might call them, de facto elders. They're not currently serving on any kind of organizational structure or board, but they are the, the kind of respected elder statesmen of the congregation whom everybody looks up to and uh, respects their opinion. It carries a lot of weight in conversation or in a congregational meeting. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody by pointing out de facto elders in our own congregation, but I will tell you about a man in one of my former pastorates, Doug Burke, who in my entire pastorate never served on the elder board, and yet who served, who functioned as a, an elder, really as a pastor to the adult Sunday school class that he taught. He and his wife together sensed the responsibility to shepherd this group of people. They visited them in the hospital. They, they led ministry of um, service efforts on the part of their class to people in their, in their class who were in need. And uh, everybody in the church knew that, that Doug was one of those respected elder statesmen that we looked up to and appreciated. But... It is also the case that some of those elder types at any given time serve on the official church board that is answerable to the government as the stewards of the corporation and who are answerable to the body for the direction of the church. Elders are those experienced, mature leaders of the body. And then Peter calls them pastors. 
This says something about the nature of their work. What kind of leaders does Jesus want in his church? Shepherdly leaders. And even we suburbanites who probably have never seen personally a shepherd doing his thing can appreciate the imagery here. The shepherds care for the sheep. They know the sheep. They lead the sheep to nourishing food. And they don't drive the sheep. They lead the sheep. They don't push from behind, but lead the way. I love the story about the soldier who was terrified uh, being on the front lines of battle. Nothing in his training had prepared him for exactly how horrible it was going to be. And he lost his nerve, lost his courage, and ran away, ran as far as he could, as fast as he could, away from the front lines until he was confronted by an officer who pulled out his pistol, and he could have been summarily tried and executed for desertion right then and there, but he stopped short and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Captain, I lost my nerve, but I'm going to go back, and the captain put his or the officer put his gun back in his holster and said, all right, I'll give you another chance, but it's not captain, it's colonel. And the soldier said, oh man, I didn't realize it was that far back. Um, and some of you, okay, some of you will appreciate that, yeah, yeah. That's, that's not how the leader in the church leads from behind, letting the others take the risk. The pastor doesn't push or drive, the pastor leads the way. I found a quote worth sharing. It's a little bit dense, but I think that this author really put his uh, finger on it. Wherever Christians speak of authority or dignity of ministry or the headship of the shepherd, these are not properly understood as coercive modes of power but persuasive, participatory modes of benevolent, empathic guidance. This is an extraordinarily complex, subtle, and highly nuanced conception of authority, but it is intimately familiar to those who love Christ and listen for his voice. The proper authority of ministry is not an external, manipulative, alien power that distances itself from those under it, but rather a legitimized and happily reciprocal received influence that wishes only good for its recipient. A leadership that boldly guides, but only on the basis of a deeply empathic sense of what the flock yearns for and needs. The analogy of shepherd was not promiscuously or thoughtlessly chosen by Jesus as the centerpiece of ministry but wells up from the heart of God's own ministry to the world. So, Elder says something to us about the maturity, the experience, the respect due, but earned by church leaders. The word pastor says something to us about the nature of the work. It is shepherdly leadership. 
And then there's this word overseer, which implies the authority of the office. It is shepherdly authority, but it is authority. It is servant leadership, but it is leadership. And so the elder pastor overseer does not sing, just as I am without one plea, come wipe your muddy boots on me. No, there's authority there. And the wise congregation not only entrusts authority to leaders, but then trusts them to exercise that authority, only rarely overruling their leaders if they're on an unbiblical track, not just something on which people disagree. Now, I should say something about why in our church we have chosen the word elder for our leadership structure. Why not pastor? Well, if elder and pastor and overseer are used interchangeably, then you could argue that we should call the group of men who meet twice a month on Tuesday nights um, pastors. But in our culture, the word pastor has come to be used primarily about elders who have been called and trained and gifted for vocational ministry, for the work of preaching and teaching. And typically, uh, at least in the United States, that involves some time of formal education, um, a, a recognition by the church that this person is gifted and called and equipped for this ministry, and that recognition takes the form of ordination. And... Um, Guys who lead the church, but who all through the week are doctors or school teachers or plumbers or electricians. If we called them pastors, it just might be a little bit confusing, although biblically, the vocabulary is there. We could do that legitimately. But to avoid confusion, we call as pastors those who are doing this work vocationally, and elders, including the pastors, all of those charged with leadership in the church. We could have called them overseers, but there's a couple reasons to maybe not prefer that term. One is, in some translations of the Bible, as I mentioned earlier, it's bishops. And bishops down through church history have come to be understood as leaders over numerous congregations, whereas that's not New Testament usage. And overseer has a history here in Zion it might confuse people if we used it, although I will say that uh, I always smiled when Chuck Paxton would come into the church office and I'd hear him out in the outer office saying, is the general overseer in? Uh, Chuck was uh, one for affirming the church's history. Um, and let's face it, in our own country, overseer may for African Americans connote um, slavery and oppression and uh, so, for a variety of reasons, we have chosen to use the term elder for the leadership role here. And it's so widely used in the church around the world that it's less confusing than some alternatives. But whatever we call these leaders, notice that it's them, not him. Leadership is plural. Peter writes to the elders, verse 1, to the shepherds, verse 2, to the overseers, 
verse 2. This is typical of New Testament usage. In fact, the only time you find these terms in the singular is in sentences like, an elder must be, and then qualifications are given. But leadership in the church of Jesus Christ is plural. Paul summoned the elders. In Philippians 1.1, he wrote to the church in Philippi, and particularly the overseers, plural, and deacons. James said, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Paul says that when young Timothy was ordained, the elders laid hands on him. Eldership, leadership is plural. Why is that? And why is it important to know? Why point this out in the next few minutes? Well, I think there are at least three reasons why God designed his church to have a plurality of leaders. You won't find these three spelled out explicitly in any one place in the Bible, but I think if you read the New Testament teaching on the church, you can accurately infer these reasons why God set things up this way. And the first one is that no one person has all that it takes to lead well. No one person has all that it takes to lead well. A man may be smart and talented and energetic and experienced and still not be all that a church needs. A couple of years after I graduated from seminary, one of my former professors asked me how things were going in our church. And he smiled when I said, things are going great. I mean, the church was growing. We were able to buy our first building and start meeting in, in that. Um, we, the things financially, all the things that you can measure and count were going well. And uh, he was glad for me. But his smile turned to a frown when I said, and the elders give me everything I ask for. He wasn't so sure that was a good thing. Now, we had, and I thank God that this has been the case at CCC as well, a remarkably harmonious relationship over the years, pastor and elders. I praise God for it. You can't take it for granted. It's not true everywhere. But it was true back then. We had a good, harmonious working relationship, but just something about that statement raised a yellow flag, at least, for my former prof. The elders give me everything that I ask for. He knew that in the church, we needed a group of men who could check each other, challenge each other, um, slow down the guy going too fast, speed up the guy going too slow, that it's not a healthy thing for one man to be making all the decisions and everybody else just seconding the motion. Nobody has all that it takes to lead well. Wise Solomon said iron sharpens iron, and elders can do that for one another. Solomon also said in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him get up. You don't want to go it alone in ministry. It's too important, it's too challenging, too demanding, and nobody has all that it takes to lead well. One elder will be visionary. Another elder might be very practical. 
One elder will be task-oriented and know how to move the agenda forward and get things done, and another elder might be more relational and realize the relationship consequences of decisions. One elder may be able to handle church discipline matters with fidelity to the Bible and theology, and another elder will know how to handle finances and, and help the church stay solvent. One elder may have good judgment but be a little slow to come to making a decision. Another might be a great crisis manager. And it kind of reminds me of a guy in industry who was described as a great crisis manager, and then the added comment was it's a good thing because with the bad decisions he makes, there's always a crisis. Um, uh, we haven't had that here that I can remember, but we, we have different gifts brought to the table. And no one person has all that it takes. Single-person leadership would be more efficient, easier, less complicated, but somebody put it this way. A, a leader without a team of equals is kind of like the king on a chessboard, vulnerable vulnerable, unless surrounded by others who have different abilities. So that's one reason I think God set up things with uh, his church, a plurality of elders. No one person has all that it takes to lead well. Another reason might be that a solo leader cannot model body life. A solo leader could model personal holiness or how to be a good dad or how to handle money responsibly, but, but a solo leader can't model body life. It takes more than one person to one another. That was last week's message. We looked at all the one another, not all of them, but many of the one another texts of the Bible. And not only is that expected of the whole church, but Christ, the head of the church, expects his elders to one another, one another. <laughs> Encourage one another, honor one another, prefer one another. And elders then can be a microcosm of the fellowship of love that God intends the whole church to be. And then another reason I think that God arranged things that there should be a plurality of elders, pastors, overseers, is to make it clear that Jesus is the head of the church. You're probably familiar with organizational charts, even if you don't have one hanging up in your office or on your refrigerator. But, you know series of boxes that show different positions or roles in the organization connected by lines and dotted lines. And, and often at the top of the org chart is a box representing the CEO. Whose name belongs in the box at the top of the church's chart? It's, it's no pastor, elder, or overseer, it's Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church, and let's never forget it. Now, we don't have an organizational chart over here in the office with Jesus 
at the top, maybe we should. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad reminder. But here in 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle calls Jesus the shepherd and overseer of our souls. That's Jesus is my pastor and yours, and he's our overseer. And right here in this text, verse 4, he's called the chief shepherd. You know another word for chief shepherd? Senior pastor. His name belongs in the box at the top. When we forget that, when we elevate one person to the position of the guy, capital T, capital G, solo leader, among the consequences are the headship of Jesus gets obscured. And people start to refer to the place as Pastor So-and-So's church. And market-driven megachurches have achieved a kind of success, at least worldly success, by building an entire organization around one key charismatic figure. That's, that's not the picture of the church that we get in the New Testament, where people are cogs in an organizational machine where we have a CEO at the top. We get a picture of a family of spiritual equals, mutually responsible to and for one another. So again, why, why is leadership plural? Why is it elders, plural, pastors, plural, overseers, plural? Because nobody, no one person has the ability to lead well all, all by himself. And because a plurality of leaders can model for the congregation body life, and because having no one person at the top of the pyramid reminds us that Jesus is the chief shepherd, the head of the church. Now, we're in a season of transition here. I want to make this all about me, but um, you realize that starting tomorrow, everything for me is my last, my last Thanksgiving, my last Christmas, last convocation. Uh, it's 52 weeks from now till I retire, and um, at some time then, or not long after, uh, the church will have a new lead pastor. And... Um, and in the meantime, you're going to be praying faithfully for the search committee. What kind of person are they going to search for? Somebody who gets this, I hope. And you're going to be praying for your elders, those whom God has placed in responsibility for this church, not just one guy. So in a few minutes, we're going to worship the head of the church by singing again. But first, I've asked Terry Allen to come and lead us in prayer for the pastors and elders of CCC. Let's bow together. Father God, we want to lift up praise to you for our pastors, for Pastor Ken, Pastor Mike, Pastor Drew, Pastor Leo, Pastor Eliel. We thank you for our elders. We thank you for this um, this team of men, Lord, who shepherd and lead our church, Father, and we are so grateful for them, Lord. And Father, we pray that you will 
Help them to walk in steadfastness and endurance. We pray that they would be faithful to you, to their wives, to their families, and to your church. We pray that you would help them to seek your will and guidance as they make decisions. As they walk by faith, we pray that you will continue to increase their trust in you. And Father, we pray that in the coming year and beyond with the transition, as Pastor Ken mentioned, we pray that your agenda would be accomplished through these men with all the decisions that they will be making. Father, we pray that you will help them when they're feeling overwhelmed or discouraged. We pray that you'll walk with them through trials, Lord. We pray that you would give them times of good rest and good relaxation and that they would set good boundaries with their time and their mental energy, Lord. We pray that their confidence will rest in you as they draw near to your throne of grace for every need. We pray that you'll give them unity, and we do pray that they would love each other well and grow together um, as brothers in Christ. And we pray for our church, Lord, that we would be a congregation that encourages them, Lord, that prays for them, that we would be a source of joy to them, Father. And we, again, thank you for them, Father, and commit them to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.